listeners, and welcome to Recovery Talk, a new podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing SUDs, resources to assist individuals with an SUD and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. This is our second episode of a six-month series, where we have the privilege of hearing the story of someone thriving in long-term recovery. Each episode, we will be speaking with a member of the Center of Excellence about their journey and explore the power of recovery. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Michael King. In addition to serving on our peer-led steering committee and leading our organizational engagement, Michael is the director and creator of the Communities Project, a national initiative with the mission of saving a million lives from substance use-related deaths over the next two decades. Michael is passionate about empowering individuals to find their full potential and reach for the power necessary to bring about social change. Without further ado, let's get talking. All right, Michael, thank you so much for being here today and letting me chat with you about your recovery journey. Where I like to start is just asking you about your role with our center. Yeah, well, thanks, Shannon. It's good to have you. Uh, good to be here with you. I um, So the role with the center, I get... Uh, I have the best role, of course, just to be clear. My role is the best one because I actually talk to folks, right? I get to talk to folks all over the country. So my role is to serve uh, essentially as the organizational stakeholder uh, liaison, if you will. So other folks on the steering committee get to lead these core group areas where they have an issue focus. My role is to convey all the awesome stuff that they're doing out to the field. So to make sure that all the folks around the country who are engaging in peer services and who are looking at expanding that, growing it, improving it, are kind of in the loop as to what the center is doing. And likewise, I get to kind of hear all the intel and gather what's going on around the country and convey that back to the steering committee. So I I jokingly say it's the best gig because A, I get to kind of know what all the groups are doing and be in touch with each core area, but then to actually convey it out to folks in the community. And yeah, I'm excited as we're kind of entering a new stage of that work next month when we start actually getting those organizational stakeholders together for a monthly uh, check-in conversation where we get to share what we're doing, but I also intend to, I want to set this up so we get to hear from them too. I love that. And I think I think that's often a huge gap in big centers or big organizations, right? That even in mission-driven work, it's, hey, we want to provide this for the field, but you almost forget the piece to connect with the field or, hey, maybe we should talk to them first. Just again, that yeah. that in-between. Well, right. I, I mean, I, something I... I talk about a lot in my in my day job, if you will, is the idea that, you know, we're never actually effective with anybody like in our leadership when we're not interested in them. And uh, (laughs) actually, right, like, and actually being interested in them means inviting them into conversation and then hearing what they have to say. So, I mean, the center, I think, can have all the greatest ideas in the world, but if it's not matching up with or in line in alignment with the needs of the folks who are doing the work around the country, then 
it's sort of all about us and not about them. And I, I really think our work is about them. Right, exactly. And this is another question I love asking people on the steering committee is why is this work important to you? And you can talk about it from the perspective of the steering committee as a whole, our center as a whole, or even your role specifically. Sure. Well, so there's a, uh, a person who I had the opportunity to work with uh, in another field, uh, mostly in criminal justice reform field. He used to always say when it came to their community, and I'm formerly incarcerated on top of being in recovery, so I get to play in both worlds a little bit. Uh, yeah. He used to always say that those those closest to the problem are also closest to the solution, but the furthest away from resources and power. And he always said that about formerly incarcerated citizens. And I think the same could be said about people in recovery. And I, I have such a passion for peers because of the frontline personal experience. And at the end of the day, you know, personal narrative and a personal journey is, it's not that it's more enticing than folks who dedicate themselves and come up with fancy degrees. And that's all terrific too. What I think personal lived experience does is it lends a very different flavor to that work. It gives life to data and information, right? Like people, we just learn things, we remember things, and we adhere to things more effectively when we learn them through people's experience and through their stories. So, I mean, my passion for this stems predominantly from my own recovery and the idea that those of us in recovery are probably going to be the closest to the solutions we need to implement for those who are suffering. So it's it's just a real pleasure to be able to kind of be joined with others who have been on similar roads in their own journeys who feel the same way and who are dedicated to empowering others, right? Empowering everybody else. Mm -hmm. Such great points. And yeah, I think that's so huge because especially in the recovery field, there is this huge gap between the people with the resources and who can make systemic level changes and then the people doing the good work, the people on the ground helping people. And yeah, it's just such a huge need. And that's what excites me about the center is that finally getting to connect those dots. I mean, still a lot of work to be done, but an exciting good start. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think the work, one thing I think that I'm really looking forward to, and again, it, it connects to my own enthusiasm for the, the role I get to play with the center is, mm -hmm. you know, those doing the work need to have an input and in, need to have input into the work and need to be heard and listened to. And I think that the center does provide a, a unique opportunity for just that. And again, in the role that, that I was given, it's a really wonderful uh, chance to actually operate from that position of empowerment, right? And to bring that mm -hmm. to peers. And I do leadership work in my day job. And it's, you know, this, you know, for a lot of us who have gone through active substance use and who now want to make a difference. Nobody's come to us and spoken to us and talked to us and heard us as leaders. It's just mm. not for, for any number of different reasons, right? I think we oftentimes have a responsibility in that too, because of the things that we do in active addiction. But now we get to be that, right? And it's exciting. Super exciting. Well, on that note, Michael, do you want to start telling me a little bit about what recovery means to you? Sure. Well, so I was just uh, talking to a friend this weekend, not in recovery. And, um, you know, I was commenting on 
you know, this, uh, I have a, this big, beautiful life that I have that means being an active father with my kids, that means getting to do work that I, I really, really value. I, I run, I design and run a national initiative focused on leadership training for anybody who is working on the substance use issue, peers and beyond uh, other mm-hmm. communities as well. I have a home that's mine that I got and value and have put into. I, you know, I'm going to eat dinner tonight and not stress about where the next meal is going to come from. But there's a common denominator in all of those things. Mm-hmm. And more, I should add that the most important component of it is like, you know, I actually get to look in a mirror and see a reflection that I am proud of, someone that I genuinely like, that I respect, treats others with respect, and who doesn't take things that don't belong to him and tries to invest in other people in every opportunity. So, Here's the common denominator of all of those things. It's recovery, right? It, mm-hmm. It's like recovery is the one thing that if you took that out of the equation, all of those dominoes fall. You could take <laughs> other things out here and there and one domino might fall, but the rest would stay standing. But mm-hmm. if recovery, uh, recovery is the thing that makes all those other things possible. I couldn't be a father. I couldn't, you know, be an active, attentive, responsible father without that. I couldn't do the work I do without that. I couldn't have this home without that. I couldn't do any of those things without recoveries. If someone had told me uh, eight and a half years ago in February, I celebrated eight years in recovery. If someone had told me eight and a half years ago, thank you. You know, this, it kind of gave me the rundown. This is what your life is going to look like in May, Mm -hmm. 2021. I would have told you you were crazy. I mean, that there was no, there was no way that that's what my life would would look like, right? And and yet here we are, and that that piece, I think you know, for those of us in recovery, it's hard. That piece is just um, that's a really valuable, what a valuable thing that we get, and, and we get it, frankly, by uh, being willing to do a couple simple things and stay committed to it, and then in exchange we just get this big, beautiful life. It's, it's pretty, it it doesn't never ceases to amaze me. It's pretty stunning. I think that's what I love about hearing people's journeys through recovery and their story. To me, it speaks so much to simply being human and not to take away Mm. um, from the power of being in long-term recovery or to take away from their story, from your story. But I do think that's just so human for us to be well and healthy and to feel good. It, it is a lot about building a life we're not afraid to lose and that cultivation of joy. And that does look different for different people. But I do think that's just what is so beautiful about a recovery journey. It is that yeah. just such a visceral grasp of that. Mm, I love that. I also I think it goes so far beyond just a cultivation of joy, though, too. I mm-hmm. Something I heard one time in a recovery meeting years ago, and it, one of those things you hear that always sticks with you. I heard a young man share in a meeting that his favorite thing about recovery was that he didn't have to lean away from pain anymore. And mm. that really, really, really stuck with me because it kind of s- said that, you know, it wasn't just about cultivating joy. It wasn't just mm-hmm. about being, you know, happy, joyous, and free, or whatever your recovery pathway might be, right? Mm-hmm. I happen to have found recovery through the 12-step process. That's my story. Mm-hmm. That, But that I could also be sad, and I could also be upset, and I could be hurt, and I could go through really difficult things and not drink, use, or in my case, gamble through any of them again, right? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just about being happy. 
you know, the truth of the matter is life continues unabated in recovery or not in recovery. The bills keep showing up in the mail no matter what, right? But recovery has provided this roadmap for how to how to live life where uh, how to live life where I can live on an even plane regardless of my circumstances. It works through the great, the good, and the bad, the ugly, and everything else. And and I've experienced all of it in recovery. Right. <laughs> I think that's such an important point. Part of the human condition is a full spectrum of emotions and. Yeah. Part of that well-being is experiencing that whole spectrum. Not all good stuff. Yeah. But the freedom to experience it all. (laughs) Yeah. It's all life, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. recovery is the ability to experience life. And I think that it's it's actually the experience to live life in like its truest, purest form. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is some people can have a rough week and get together with their pals on Friday evening and have a few drinks maybe get a little buzz and then wake up the next morning with a mild hangover and go, I'm not going to do that again for a few months. And there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely no judgment about that for me. Uh, good for you. Go, go do that. What I learned early on, I don't have the ability to do that for whatever reason. That's just not a card I was dealt. So how can I navigate the complexities of life and everything that comes along with it without, mm-hmm. right? How mm-hmm. can I just sit with what I'm sit with my own, discomfort or joy or whatever mm-hmm. and be at peace with that and that's the gift that recovery recovery handed this roadmap over and said here's how you can do it so i'm that's the i think of all the of all the long list of things to be grateful for that's that's really that roadmap is at the top of it for me i love that well michael do you want to get into a little bit more about your recovery journey yeah, sure. So I, you know, I, like I mentioned, it was in February of this year that I celebrated eight years in recovery. And, you know, I, I had spent, um, I, you know, I, I, there's, I could look at my family and I could say I come from a long family of um, substance use and addiction and everything else. But the truth is, I, I, I actually come from a family of recovery. I have uh, my, I have a, a grandfather who passed away several months before I was born, actually, who mm-hmm. uh, was, uh, had suffered just never ending health issues, largely as a result of alcoholism that had never been uh, addressed. But that was at least right now, uh, I'm hoping this trend can continue. That was uh, the end of that story and the beginning of a different story because I come from a family with family members, very close family members with over 35 years of recovery, over 30 years of recovery. Recovery, I was very fortunate when I entered my recovery journey that recovery was not a new thing for me. I, I want to sure. take responsibility for, uh, I was very, very fortunate in that regard. I, <laughs> when I was growing up, my house had like seven coffee cups with the serenity prayer on it, right? Like it was <laughs> sure. not a new, you know, there were a family member sponsees or who came over to watch football on Sunday. So <laughs> I was very fortunate that like recovery circles were not new to me, but mm-hmm. what's, I think interesting about it is despite the knowledge of that, I still went out and had my own journey. Like it didn't stop me from going out and experimenting. So I, you know, we think oftentimes about the, um, about the stereotypical person, uh, stereotypical picture of the person who's suffering uh, from substance use uh, disorder. And, you know, we, we have that image in our minds. 
Well, when I was in active addiction, I owned a house. I was married. I had a kid with another one on the way. I had a career in politics that had been very successful. Uh, I was in my dream job at that time. And that was what that outward picture looked like. And the internal picture was something very, very, very different. And it Mm -hmm. included lots of dishonesty. It included uh, a lot of sadness and and just misery and discomfort that only alcohol, drugs, and gambling uh, made solved for me in the moments because I had no tools to deal with everything else. And eventually, it also included a crime that I had to take responsibility for after I got into recovery. So my recovery journey began in February of 2013. And uh, my third day, I went into an inpatient treatment center. And my third day in inpatient treatment, I picked up a copy of the Seattle Times as I live in the Northwest. And Mm -hmm. there was a big headline above the fold and the headline read, Senate Democratic Executive Under Investigation. That was problematic because I was the Senate Democratic Executive (laughs) who was under investigation. In the midst of everything, I'd begun embezzling money and I embezzled a large sum of money. I was convinced that life was done. And the truth was something happened when I was in, uh, I had a moment, an experience that really began in my time in an inpatient treatment center. And uh, when I left 28 days later, 25 days, I guess, from when that article had come out in the newspaper, I didn't. I opted to just throw myself at this recovery thing, if not for any other reason, because I didn't know what the hell else to do. And it seemed like a decent <laughs> option, right? I didn't know where the hell else I was going to go. I began that recovery journey, um, and I, I just got in the middle of the boat. You know, I, for me, it was really that, and it sounds... It sound at the time I would have told you this sounds so hokey. This sounds so corny, you know. But the truth was, all of these little suggestions that people started to make for me, all of these experiences that they shared, they all came true. And I just noticed at the time that I there I could tell you there was this laundry list of things I didn't want to do, and something in me just drove me to do them anyway. And every single thing I did that I didn't want to do, whether it was go to inpatient treatment, uh, continue into intensive outpatient after I left, go live in an Oxford house and a sober house, go get a job in a restaurant after I'd been a big wig in political circles, going to bus tables at a restaurant, all these things I did not want to do. Something just drove me to do them. And every single one of them ended up setting this, building this foundation of recovery under me. And Nine months into my recovery journey, I was nine months sober, uh, I had to stand in a courtroom and take responsibility for what I had done. And I actually entered the Washington State Department of Corrections. And when I was in prison, uh, that's when I really began to, I just started noticing that everybody in there, like 90% of the men uh, with whom I was incarcerated, were in there for something related to substance use, like everybody was. And that was something that, you know, now I say it and it's like, well, yeah, we we know this. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think I really understood that. I, I want to be responsible for my own uh, naivete. I want to be responsible for showing up here as a straight, cisgender, white male and mm-hmm. for the privilege that that brought for, to me in my life and where it landed me. And here I was in the criminal justice system with my eyes opening to things that I had never really understood or known and certainly had never seen growing up in the wealthy suburbs of New York, which I still have a <laughs> soft spot for, as you can see in the wall behind me. You know, so here I was in this in this in the system in a way that I never anticipated being, but sober. And mm-hmm. that was when I kind of really began to wonder and think, God, if 
I'm curious if there is some way to merge this newfound passion I have for recovery with my longtime professional passions that were at the time politics and advocacy and eventually became more uh, leadership focused. So that's the choice I made when I was able to walk out of the prison system was to try to figure out how to do that. And I ended up getting connected to a national group in the addiction space. It's where I ended up first forming the Communities Project, which is the primary work I do today. Uh, I got to participate in leadership programs. I This whole world that i mentioned at the start of our conversation, began to come up around me. I mean, an amazing network of friends and a safe network and a network that, you know, stood, uh, was there through some very difficult times in my recovery journey. But this this community was there the whole time. And uh, today, I, I my recovery has culminated and continues to grow into this kind of never-ending opportunity, you know, to do new things, to uh, explore new things, to find out new uh, things that I enjoy in life, to discover things that are inconsistent with my values that I didn't realize before. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a never-ending journey. And it just, uh, like I said before, it is the one common thread that if you were to pull on it, all the other dominoes of life would fall. Every single one of them. It's recovery. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all that, Michael. Pardon my ignorance. I didn't know about your incarceration piece of your story. Does a lot of the work you do now influence those populations and help those who are stigmatized? Sure. Well, I think that there is, you know, I mean, I think that's a um, uh, an experience that a lot of folks in recovery have shared. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, I... I, I any opportunity I ever have to invest in in individuals who are re-entering society and coming home from uh, a frankly incredibly broken, misused uh, criminal justice system that is rife with inequality, and I could go on and on and on and on. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. take that opportunity to work with and invest in those folks at any chance I get. I will say for myself, recovery has kind of been the common thread just because that's the community that I've sort of found myself in when I embarked on this journey. I've had the pleasure to work with some folks from the criminal justice reform community, and it has been some of the most rewarding, empowering, eye-opening experiences, but most notably just the people uh, Mm -hmm. in that space um, are are an inspiration to me, frankly. And, And actually, the work that I do today which really is leadership training and leadership coaching is inspired by experiences I had in that community. So it's uh, I actually went through an experience several years ago where I was part of a leadership group of formerly incarcerated leaders. And it's where some of the uh, work I do today was first introduced to me and became part of my experience. And my initial uh, reaction to it was, I want to bring this work, these ideas, this focus on leadership into the recovery world. Um, mm-hmm. That's where it was the inspiring thing to, to, at the time, really move and shift the focus of the community's project towards leadership work. And that's what I, you know, that's what I get to do today. And, you know, just today I've had, I think, five different coaching calls with folks from all over the country who've had, who've been through trainings that I've done. And I mean, these conversations just never cease to, um, you know, I had a conversation earlier today with a woman who told me that, you know, 
nobody ever told her she could amount to something. And yet in the work that we're doing, I was telling her she was a leader and she said, nobody ever said that to her. And now she's taking that sentiment and it's, it's, she's bringing it into her organization and into her community. I mean, Shannon, how can you, I just pinch myself that I Mm -hmm. get to be in a position to have that kind of impact on anybody. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's, um, it's something that doesn't, it's, it doesn't stop being, uh, just amazing every time I get to have that conversation with somebody. And I had it five times today. Yeah. I, I did that a lot with my role too, with the center. Oh my gosh, I have to pinch myself. All these uh, cool stories we get to hear. I mean, whatever impact we have to add some good to this world, you know, whether it's through people or through organizations that eventually reach the people, it is just so incredible. For me, it's just the perfect intersection of head and heart because we do get to empower, you know, these professional skills that, yeah, maybe we've gone to school or just, you know, through work experience gained, but then it's all, it's all mission driven, right? It's Mm -hmm. just for the sake of good for people. And it is just lovely and beautiful. And yeah, why do we get to do that? (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the one, one of the things that really inspired me to want to bring the leadership work into this world was I first started doing work in this field. Actually, it was just six years ago. I just had a Facebook memory tell me it was six years ago when I started working in this space. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what I felt like I saw were all of these amazing programs that had been developed that clearly had high levels of efficacy to them and all of these amazing people. But what I felt like I saw was a lot of investment in the programs, which is Mm -hmm. great. We need to invest in programs. Lord knows I'm not (laughs) critiquing or criticizing that. But who was investing in the people? Mm -hmm. And just naturally, just kind of who I am as as a person, I, I tend to be uh, almost a little more interested in the human behind the program than the program itself. Like I'm interested in what makes Shannon tick and what gets Shannon inspired by things. So I just kind of made the choice that that's the angle that I wanted to take. And and the leadership work I get to do just seemed to be, as it sort of came together for me, that it was how I wanted to show up. It was the relationship that I wanted to create with the space was an investment in anybody who's interested in moving their community forward when it comes to more effectively tackling substance use. Whether you're a peer, like we work with at the center, but also mm-hmm. if you are a harm reduction advocate or you work in the treatment industry uh, or you are a prevention specialist or a family member who's lost a loved one and has begun to advocate, if you are interested in moving the needle forward on this issue, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in working with you. And it's because we actually share a common vision. We all want to see fewer people losing their lives. No matter how we got here, that's the one common thread with all of us. We don't always agree on how to get there. There's, we all know the the conversations and the debates and the disagreements that take place in in this field and related fields. That's Mm -hmm. fine, in Mm -hmm. my view. I don't think, we're not all going to agree we shouldn't all agree. We're all have our own experiences, mm-hmm. but we're all come together with this common idea that we lose too many people to completely preventable death 
and we all have a contribution we can make. I chose to want to make mine in the area of leadership investment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, again, and the center of excellence is just one more vehicle for that, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm wanting to jump back because we've kind of danced around it, but you are the director of the Communities Project. You've kind of s- spoken about, you know, how you were inspired or the gap you saw and between the people doing the work and investing in them as much as we invest in programs. Was that a dream that was kind of festering and slow growing? Or was that something one day you woke up and you're like, I need to do this? <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, somewhere in between, probably leaning a little bit towards one day I woke up. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, it was funny. I um, So I, I mentioned that I participated in a leadership cohort uh, mm-hmm. several years ago now. And, you know, I was introduced to a set of these leadership principles. And I was really taken by them. And I think I was taken by them largely because they reminded me a lot of certain recovery ideas. And it started with the idea of like leading with responsibility, meaning like we all are creating results with everything we do. And we have to lead by being responsible for whatever we are contributing to them, both our successes and our failures. So that reminded me a lot of some fundamental recovery ideas, right? Of owning, you know, in recovery, we might talk about, depending on our pathway, owning our own side of the street and not blaming others and blaming the world, but just owning our piece of it. Well, Mm -hmm. I had never really thought about that as a leadership idea. I thought about it as a in my recovery life. But that was a new idea for me to start with responsibility and to be self-reflective and to really examine closely without judgment what I was contributing to my results and actually developing a relationship where I could acknowledge that getting feedback from people was just feedback and not adding all this extra meaning onto it. And then this idea that... um, you know, there's a leader in all of us, that leadership is not necessarily connected to position, job title, hierarchy, where you sit on the organizational food chain, but that leadership was something that actually existed in everybody. I'd never considered that idea before. So I put it into practice Mm -hmm. from some ideas that I'd learned from some amazing people. And oh my God, all of a sudden, the results Mm -hmm. that I started to see in my life, just like they exploded. And, um, I'm I'm wholeheartedly convinced that I, I wouldn't have been that it was by practicing those leadership ideas, those leadership principles that led me to be able to take the communities project out on its own when the time came where that opportunity arose for me. So I think it was somewhere in there that it, it kind of popped in my head one day. I know what I want to do. Like, I know that I work in this space, but what do I really want to contribute? Because we talk a lot about, oh, we're recreating the wheel. We're doing this. We're doing that. All these conversations that come up. Yeah. And it just one day I woke up and went, that's what I want to contribute. And and I don't see, I have not seen others doing it in this field specifically. And I know personally, I can speak to just how impactful these leadership ideas have been for me. Man, I, I want to pass that on to our field in the same way that those ideas were passed on to me. So that's kind of how I I got there. And as a result of that, I've had the chance now to train, I think it's over 2,600 folks. Uh, I think it's 44 different states. Uh, I've I've either held a training in or trained people from 44 different states. And people who have gone through the, the training work that I've done and who I've had the pleasure to coach 
after they've gone through the training have done everything from opening up new recovery centers to uh, launching new treatment facilities in some communities to one leader I had the chance to work with actually led the way to get a documentary film made on to support families. Um, Very cool. New promotions, new spots on Mm -hmm. local uh, committees. I mean, you name it. It just, but more, more impactful than even all, that's all great. That's all stuff. And it's great. And it is helps save lives. But just earlier today, I, I got choked up, you know, this hearing from someone that nobody had ever spoken to them like a leader before. Mm-hmm. That's more than anything, Shannon, that's that's what I wake up for. Mm-hmm. Like that conversation. Because what that woman can do is unbelievable. And nobody's ever said that. People have said the, uh, the opposite. But to see her step into her power, step into her leadership in that way. That's that's a pretty amazing experience. Yeah, it's the starfish story on the beach, right? Made a difference in that one. And I have a friend who works in mental health in an acute inpatient uh, facility. You know, as you go back to family gigs, or family reunions, holidays, all that, they ask you, what are you up to? And you have your elevator pitch. And part of her elevator pitch is very similar to that, because when she talks about what she does, she gets the, oh, why would you want to do that? Why would you, you know, burden yourself? Or why <laughs> would you, <laughs> right? And she, her elevator pitch is, I want to make the world a better place. Like this, you know, those those people are my people. And, you know, it's not that she just talks about personhood so well. I, I wish I could be as poetic as she is. This is not morality issue. This, the, you know, these are just, these are just people just like you and me. And yeah. they're facing hardships just like you and me. And I just want to make a difference. I just want to make Absolutely. the world better. Absolutely. And, and, mm-hmm. I will say a huge part of my own leadership journey and something that I I have the pleasure to talk to folks a lot about now in the work is the idea of genuinely and authentically being present to your impact. Um, Mm -hmm. You get to have a massive impact on everybody around you. Get present to it, right? Like step into it and own it. Really mm-hmm. get present to the impact because the impact you have is unbelievable. It's unbelievably powerful. So step into that and be responsible for it, right? Something that comes up a lot in the work I do for people in recovery is we kind of get a little like um, uh, worried that if we really embrace what we're contributing to our successes, mm-hmm. suddenly we won't be uh, acting hum- in a humble way, right? Sure. And we'll yeah. violate our humble rules. And I mean, when you mm-hmm. think about it, though, bragging and being responsible are completely different ideas. And what could be more humble than just being responsible, not just for where you came up short, but for what you're doing, Mm because people are doing amazing things. Go take responsibility for it, for what Mm -hmm. you did. that, That inspires me to do the same. So go do that. Go be responsible for your greatness. Don't run from it. Own it. Ooh, I love that. What a great line. Be responsible for your greatness. Ah. Well, on that note, Michael, for those listening, if you wanted them to take away only one thing of all the great things you've shared, what would it be? If you can narrow it down. 
Oh, yeah, step, you know, uh, well, I, I would be curious. I would want to hear what they want to take away for themselves, first and <laughs> foremost. And I, I say that. I'm not trying to screw up your question, Shannon. I'm, I'm going to totally screw up your question here. <laughs> no, uh, I love it. it. This is you why you're our organizational engagement. You want to hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and the reason is that, you know, leaders, leaders are more interested in what others want for themselves than what we may hope for for them. So I can hope that people take away things. But really what I would, and folks who have, you know, I would ask, what are you hearing for yourself in this conversation, right? What are you taking away for yourself? Because I can say one thing to a group of 25 people who I get to train and 25 different things actually get heard. And every single one of them, if then shared back, is an incredibly valuable contribution to that space. So mm -hmm. step into your greatness and own uh, your own experience and how you hear and process things because your process ends up being a massive contribution to everybody around you. And if you're thinking about whether or not, you know, uh, sharing it is a good idea, just remember that if you share with intentionality and you share with the purpose of contributing to everybody around you, then everything you say ends up being a contribution. I will take that question mess up. <laughs> no, that's not, I will be responsible for actually not answering your question. Remember, I worked in politics for 10 years, so I'm a master <laughs> at not answering questions. <laughs> I'll take that one, though. I can live with that. That was really well said. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your willingness to share your story is so good. And thank you for being vulnerable and letting others hear it and letting allowing it to impact them however they choose. Well, thank you, Shannon. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for everything you do. The center, Shannon and I email back and forth a decent amount. I think, you know, Shannon, thanks for your impact and contribution to the, the bigger picture that the center serves too, because you have such a big part of it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org, or wherever you find your podcasts.